We're going to be in Psalm 20 today. You open up your Bible there. Just to catch you up to speed, this is our uh, third meeting. And praise the Lord uh, for His grace in that. Uh, at the very first meeting, we talked about uh, the call to say, let's make our lives count. That's what we're all talking about. Uh, we were looking at scripture for us to make the most of our lives. We said, hey, let's make our lives count. One life to live, let's make it count. Let's do what the Lord's calling us to do. That's the reason this church exists. We said, if, if there's a sentence, a simple sentence I could describe as best we can, why are we sitting in this cafeteria on a Sunday afternoon instead of where we would normally be? It'd probably be that, hey, let's make our lives count. As we said last time, uh, Falls Church doesn't need another service. It needs a group of people that are gathered together to do mission so we're going to talk a little bit later today about how important the service is. That's not saying the service is not important, it's super important. But as we've been talking about, it's a launching pad, not a landing place. It's a place that we're equipped and sent out. But the city and the world around us needs a group of people that are empowered by the Spirit to go live day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day lives, seeing people come to know Christ, making disciples, changing the world around them. That's what this city needs. So we said, let's make our lives count. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be real light in the world. Let's settle for nothing less than the kind of fruit and the kind of things we see in Acts. We serve the same God. And so that's what we started off with. We're talking about, hey, let's make our lives count. And that's what we've been talking about. Today, uh, we're talking about how, how do we really do that? What does it look like to make our lives count? What do we do with that? Last week, I mean, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the Father's love for us and the value of the one. So that was one of the ways we make our lives count, was we value the one. In the same way, the lady swept the whole house searching for the one coin. The guy leaves 99 to find the one sheep. The father rejoices in the one prodigal that comes home. In a culture that values max influence, more likes, more this, more that, we are people who value the one. We value the one, and particularly, we talked about, we value the one that's marginalized and broken, especially the one the world doesn't value. So if anybody's not going to value that one, we are. We're going to be a people who value the one. And one by one by one by one by one, the Lord will make a big difference in and through this church. But we value the one. The question after that was, who is your one? If you were to narrow down your life in terms of one person you could have max impact on for the kingdom, who is that? Are you going after that? What is the Lord calling you to? Who's the one? The one that you can help bring that's far from God. The one that the world may say is invaluable. Who's the one in your life, in your neighborhood, in your circumstances for you to go after in the name of Jesus? Who's your one? We talked about the value of the one. That's how one of the ways we make our lives count. Another way, as we're going to talk about today, is depending on the Lord. The question for us, I have one question for you and a call for us all. The question is this, it's who and what are you trusting? That's the simple question. Right now, in this second, who are you trusting? What are you trusting? And secondly, the call for all of us, as we're going to see from this text, is let's trust in the Lord alone. The way you make max impact for King Jesus, the way you make your life count, is not to get better, try harder, do better. It's to trust in the Lord alone, to learn what it means to be a child in dependence. To learn how God moves and works in people's lives. What are the strategies that God implements, not men? How can we get God's power, not man's? How can we depend on the Lord? How can we trust in the Lord alone? And this has been really important to me, especially as of lately, uh, because you know, most church plants, if you know, probably start with like five or ten people in a house. And praise God, that's amazing. The Lord has blessed us with what we have presently, and that's also good, but it's also super dangerous. Super dangerous for leaders. It's super dangerous for us to assume that because there's people here and we have stuff and resources at some level that we can move this thing forward because of that. And there's certainly a temptation for a pastor to think that. 
And the Lord's been teaching me more and more and wants to teach us, I think, as a whole, that as we move forward, especially if he gives more people and more resources, we have the same dependence. The battle is the Lord's. It's always been the Lord's. So that's kind of the title of it today. The battle is the Lord's. If you want to write that down, the battle is the Lord's. We're going to see this from Psalm 20. So why don't you guys read that with me, uh, and we'll jump right in. So verse 1, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Uh, verse 7 is something that you should memorize. It's the driving force of this text of this sermon. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So the first question, once again, is who and what are you trusting, just individually? What are you relying on? Usually what you're anxious about will show you that. What are you worried about? What's the thing that keeps you up, that bothers you? A lot of times that's going to show you what you're really trusting in, whether it's your ability to manage something, whether it's your ability to bring about the future that you desire, whether it's circumstantial, job loss, whatever. The thing that bothers you and worries you the most is usually a root at the fact that that's the thing you're relying on to give you joy, peace, happiness, fulfillment, and purpose. So who and what are you trusting in? That's the first thing for us. And then secondly, a call for us as a church as we advance the kingdom of God here and around the world is let's trust in the Lord alone. Uh, so I was on a flight the other day with my wife, and we were, it's a very small one, you know, it's like one of those, I don't know, like 50 people, it's very small, the one that shakes in the sky that you feel like it's going to fall out. And I was sitting in the back, I had an aisle seat, because that's the only seat I'll ever take, because I'm too tall for anything else, so I had an aisle seat, now uh, when I sit in the middle, man, anybody that's over six feet, y'all know, it's just a super painful experience, so I, I sat uh, on the end, and but this time though, I had never seen this before, my first time, and I guess with a plane like this. The bathroom door had a seat on it, and that's where the flight attendant sat. This is no joke. I don't know. Has anybody seen that before? I have been, I've been on lots of planes. This is no joke. It was me, and then I had a space, but the bathroom door was right there, and this is for takeoff and landing. The flight attendant came, and he plopped his seat down. He sat right next to me, like knee to knee, like we were rubbing knees, me and this guy. And I was like, what in the world? You know, like, how's anybody supposed to go to the bathroom? What are you supposed to do? Uh, and he was super close to me. And I was on a plane. I was talking to my wife. You know, I always pray the Lord would give me an evangelistic opportunity. Sometimes I mean it. Sometimes I don't. You know, it's like, you know, we're all we're honest with each other. Sometimes you just want to sit there. Sometimes you're feeling zealous for the kingdom. That's human nature. And so I had prayed for it because that's my discipline to do so. But I hypocritically didn't really mean it. Uh, and I knew I had an aisle seat. My wife was sitting next to me, so I just assumed I'd be good. I wouldn't have a person sitting next to me anyway, so I felt kind of good. I'm good. Well, this guy, no joke, sits right next to me, like, like knees rubbing. And he's the most talking person I ever met in my life. Within two seconds, he's like just talking to me about everything in his life. I found out first five jobs he had, how many girlfriends he's had lately, uh, you know, what his mom and dad do for a living. I'm telling you, within five minutes, I knew all these things about him. He never asked me anything about myself, but just proceeded to just unload everything about himself without me even asking. I didn't say, hello, how are you? I didn't say, hey, what's up, man? He sat down and said, hey, what's up, dude? Boom, and he went into it. We're sitting right next to each other. Nobody can go to the bathroom. And so now I'm thinking, oh, Lord, this is funny. Okay. Um, I, obviously, he's initiating the conversation. You're setting this up for at least for me to plant a seed at the very least. We'll see. 
what happens. Uh, and we ended up having uh, uh, some sort of a gospel conversation. I say it didn't feel that fruitful when we were having it because uh, he grew up somewhat religious and knew all the lingo. And I was trying to sort that out for him and what it means to really follow Jesus. Uh, but he didn't seem to be computing what that actually meant in his life. Uh, I don't even tell the story for that reason. But he was telling me about how he's a tree cutter. So one of his many jobs, he's a flight attendant, he's a bartender, he's a tree cutter downer, whatever. I don't know. That's not a lumberjack. It's the person who climbs up. What? An arborer. Thank you, Jonathan. See, I appreciate that. That's why you're here. Okay, an arborer. <laughs> Have you ever been an arborer? Yeah. Oh, hey, there you go. Okay. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. You're very brave. I would never do that. So uh, he was telling me how he does this on the side. He just works a bunch of side hustles, I guess. It's amazing. Uh, and he goes up the tree and... He was telling me all about this, and I was like, that's super interesting, you know, whatever, dude. Uh, he's explaining more and more about the arbor business and uh, all the things that he's doing. And eventually, he gives me this one. Uh, he comes up, and he says, the thing you have to learn to do is trust your equipment. He said, you can't do this if you don't trust your equipment. And one of the things they make you practice at the very beginning is going up the tree and just falling back into your equipment. Is this true? Did you do that? Yeah. Sort of. Oh, well, this is what the guy told me, right? So uh, you go up and he said, listen, you got to learn to trust your equipment just to lean back into it so you get used to it so you're not feeling weird up there and you get comfortable with the feeling of being out of control, of trusting your gear. And he looked at me and said, you know, bro, you got to trust your gear. You gotta trust your gear. I'm like, what is it, a dad life lesson? I was like, yeah, man, that's a great spiritual principle. You know, who are you trusting? What gear are you trusting in to get you to heaven? You know, he definitely wasn't ready for that shift. He went, he went back into harboring. Uh, but I thought that was, yeah, he didn't even address the question. I thought it was an interesting. I've been thinking about it all the time ever since I left that conversation is that line, trust your gear, trust your gear. And when I think about the Christian life, God's been applying that a lot more in my life to say no matter what your circumstances look like, God's given you the right equipment in the Word and in the Spirit. He tells you, hey, trust your gear. Trust what you already have, even if it feels like you're not in control. Because God will surely be there. What He has given you will sustain you. It'll help you. And so what we're going to learn today is a little bit what that looks like. We're going to give a couple examples in the Bible of how men and women have trusted the gear, how they've trusted the Lord. What does that look like for them? What are some dangers for us not to do that? And what does it look like for us to leave from here uh, and not necessarily come up with great strategies for reaching the city? But what does it look like to come from here and just trust the gear that God's given us? To trust the Holy Spirit in your life. To trust the Word of God. To do the work of God. To trust the power of God. To do the things we want to see. What does that look like? And we're going to see later on things we certainly know like prayer. The things that don't necessarily feel like they're doing anything are the very means by which God does things. We've got to trust the gear. We've got to trust the things that God's given us. I think one of the reasons we don't pray is we just don't trust the gear. We don't really trust that if I pray an hour... And preach for 10 minutes, God will do way more than if I preached an hour and prayed for 10 minutes. Do I trust the gear? Do I trust where the power comes from? But not from me. And certainly not from me. I'm not a good enough preacher for that. And it wouldn't happen anyways, even if I was John Piper. That's not how it works. You gotta trust the gear. It's the power of God that gets anything done. And so what does that look like on our mission? What does that look like in your workplace? What does that look like as you value the one? As you try to make your life count? How do you Go about daily trusting the gear, trusting what God has given you. And instead of namely running after something, you kind of lean back and you fall into it, so to speak. And listen, y'all, anybody who knows me, I'm a charge the hill kind of person. Like, let's go take the flag. Let's run. Let's do it. Everybody stop sitting around. And what I'm learning more and more is there's certainly time for that. We're going to see that. Uh, but it has to come out of a spirit of dependence or it just shouldn't come at all. 
be better to pray a whole lot and see what the Lord does than try to do that and have prayed little. And so we want to do that together and make sure we have it on the front end as we're building what God's creating here that we're a dependent people. We're just super dependent like little children. We have no pride to think that we're capable of anything outside of the Lord's providence. So when you're thinking about that, I mean, I, even for your own life, just thought a lot about how we could trust in people, resources, money, bank accounts, job, networks, all these different things. We're just naturally wired to trust humans around us at some level. Even if you got on a plane, right, you trusted the pilot. If you got in an Uber, you trusted the Uber driver. Even if you have trust issues because your boyfriend did something to you terrible three years ago, you still operate on a daily basis assuming people are going to be generally good to you. Go to the grocery store. You don't think you're going to have things that happen to you there. We're all operating at that level, and it's kind of normal for us to do that. And for some reason, it takes more spiritual effort. It's a little bit abnormal for us to really put that same kind of trust in the Lord on a daily basis. We may theologically do that. It's like, yeah, of course I trust the Lord. On a real daily, habitual, trusting my gear basis. What does that, what does that look like? So personally for you, how do you switch that? And then how do we switch that together? So I'm going to give you two examples. You know probably, you know the first story for sure, or the second you might. Uh, so 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47. I'm just going to read this part. It's David and Goliath. You probably know the whole thing, but I'm going to read the end of it, okay? So even if you don't know it, it's a big story from the Bible. Uh, but I'm going to read the last two verses. So David comes to the Philistine, and just background, just real quick, Philistine's this big giant, he's attacking the people of Israel, everybody's scared of him, nobody will fight him. This little shepherd boy, David, comes out of the crowd, and he volunteers to fight this giant Philistine for the people of God. This is in the Old Testament of the Bible. So he says to the Philistine, this little shepherd boy, David, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, paraphrasing, you know, a really big one, super big. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. So the first thing that we notice you can write down is just the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. This is true in your personal life, the things you're dealing with on a very personal level. And this is true at church corporate life as we come together and as we seek to do things for the Lord. First and foremost, it must always be defined. This is not our fight. The battle is the Lord's. This is God's fight. Light versus darkness. Heaven and hell, salvation, this is God's business. This is God's battle. This is God's fight. It's not up to us to muster up enough skill, intelligence, energy, and strategy to help God accomplish the mission that he set out to accomplish. It's God's battle. And the whole point of this story is primarily to reveal that truth. Remember, David is not the hero here. God is the hero. David doesn't do anything except have a little faith. God kills the Philistine. God does the work. David just exemplifies a little faith. That's all he does. And it's this kind of thing that we can do. There's nothing special about that. David had seen God work and he trusted him. So point number one, the battle is the Lord's. One of the things I want you to learn from that, that I want us to learn from that, what does that mean for us? Do you see here specifically, he says, the Lord saves not with sword and spear. And if you look at verse 48, it says that David ran after Goliath. So he didn't wait he, he said what he had to say, and then he ran after him with exactly what he had in his hand, which was the sling. He had a slingshot, basically, with five stones in it. 
And what I want us to learn from that is the simple truth for you and for me is this. Use what you have and run into the battle. Just use what you have. Stop waiting to get better, stronger, more sophisticated, smarter, a better whatever. Stop waiting for those things. Use what you have and run into the battle. We should be running out of this cafeteria after we eat and hang out together and running after that into the world, ready, not because we're better than we were when we came in here, but because we were reminded of how great God is, that the battle is the Lord's, and that when I engage in my workplace, it's up to God to do the work to save people, to change people's hearts. I just can't do that. I never will be able to do that. I'm not persuasive enough to do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. I don't have enough power to do that. I can't go to seminary long enough to do that. I can't study the Bible enough to do that. Now, certainly, studying the Bible this is very important. It's a way that you learn how to do these things. It's a way that you learn the Lord. What I'm saying is, it's not like you need to go wait to get better at something to accomplish the thing God's put in your life. Now, you should certainly grow. We're going to talk about that. I'm not saying you just don't go do anything. But what I'm saying is, as you grow and learn, stop waiting around. Go. Take what you have and run into it. David was very foolish to fight a Philistine with swords and spears with little slingshots if the battle was up to him to win. And you would be very foolish to go do the thing God's called you to do at your skill level without training if the battle was yours. If the battle required you to have a better skill set for you to advance the kingdom of God in this particular area, you would be foolish for doing that. And that's what we're prone to think because we learn to rely on ourselves and people around us. But what the Bible teaches us over and over again, especially when it comes to these spiritual things, is the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And so number one is you use what you have and you run into it. Just take what you got and run. Just take as much as you know about Jesus and go tell somebody about it. Take whatever resources you have and steward them well for the kingdom. Take whatever it is you got and use it. And stop waiting for something else. And as you're using the things God's giving you, number one, that's how you grow the most. If you want to grow in knowledge of the word, share it. If you want to grow in understanding of spiritual things, talk about them. If you want to grow in being able to share the gospel, try it. If you want to grow in making disciples, try to disciple somebody. That's how you're primarily going to grow. And then go into other ways and learn. Always keep learning all those things. But I think sometimes we stay out of the game because we feel like we don't have what it takes. And the point of the Bible is exactly that. You don't have what it takes. And you never will have what it takes no matter what you ever do. So use what you got. Run into the battle. Leave from here. Launch you bad. Off we go. Into the world around us. To be a sent from Jesus. So the battle is the Lord. So an implication of that is use what you got. Run into the battle. Don't hesitate. Don't walk into it. Man, just be confident. Run into it. Run into that gospel conversation. Run into that. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust your gear. Sometimes waiting or hesitating to walk into things God's calling you to is simply a symptom of trusting in yourself. If you wait or hesitate to walk into the things God has in front of you, it's a symptom and a sign that you're really trusting yourself. If you won't do it, it's because you're trusting yourself. I do this all the time. If I don't advance, if I don't step into what God's calling me to, it's usually out of fear, and it's because I'm trusting myself, my abilities to accomplish the thing I want to see happen. And God is saying all the time, no, Nate, the battle is the Lord's, always. No matter how skilled you get, no matter how many resources you have, if there's thousands of people in the room, the battle is always the Lord's. A thousand people cannot save one soul. They can't do it. One person, empowered by the Spirit of God, can lead a hundred people to Jesus. 
So let's think like that. Let's think like that as we kind of navigate what God is doing in us. The battle is the Lord. So take what you got and run into it. Second, you see from this text very simply that the glory is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's and the glory is the Lord's. This helps us take our mind off ourselves, how we're perceived or how we are appeared during the things that we're trying to do. We think the, Lord, the battle's the Lord, so I can trust Him to do it. And then the glory is the Lord's. It's for Him anyways. It's not about whether I feel comfortable in this situation. Irrelevant. Right? It's not about what I feel about this situation. The glory is the Lord's. It's not about how I come across. So don't be a jerk, you know. But it's not about, how, it's not about my appearance. The glory is the Lord's. You see here, he says... In verse 47, that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. He wants everyone there to know that there is a God in Israel. The God of Israel is the true God. The glory is the Lord's. So the battle is the Lord's, the glory of the Lord's. A simple little phrase you could write down is that when we trust, God glorifies. When we trust, God glorifies. And if you can find me a time in the Bible when that doesn't happen, come tell me because it's not there. When we trust, God glorifies. 100%. If I trust Him, He'll glorify himself. It may not look like what I thought it would. That's irrelevant. He'll glorify himself. If I trust. When we trust, God glorifies. Not when we accomplish, strategize, whatever. When we trust. Now, in that, there's a lot of strategizing. Right? You've got to think God's given us a brain. Okay? I'm not saying we don't do that. Just We don't rely on it. Okay? So when we trust, God glorifies. When we trust, God glorifies. When we trust the gear that he's given us, God gets the glory. Because if you can do it and you did it, then who gets the glory from? You do. But if you can't do it, and it happens anyways, that's God. So the more times you can put yourself in a position to trust so God can be glorified is the better thing. So that's the first story. Here's the second example. We'll close with that. I just want to keep these simple things in front of you. So 2 Chronicles 20, put on the screen, it's the story of Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat was uh, one of the leaders of Israel at this time. And they get surrounded by an army, uh, armies of people. He doesn't know what to do. I won't read you the whole context, but they're all freaking out. There's tons and tons of people that are coming at them. They are outnumbered, and they have no idea what to do. This is what happens. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord, and they add this on purpose with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So just think about it. It's not just men having the battle. It's the fact that all these people are around them who could come and and do terrible things to are little ones. He's adding that. It's context. It makes you feel like, oh, you know, like this is a really terrible, scary situation. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite, the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle, get it again, is not yours, but God's. Same thing. The battle isn't yours. It's God's battle. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. I love this. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. That might be a word for some of you in your personal life right now. The Lord just stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't walk away from the Lord. Don't walk to your left or to your right. Don't look over there. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to somebody else for that help. Stand firm. Wait. See the salvation of the Lord for you. You don't have to fight your way out of the battle that you're in. Stand firm. Wait. Hold your position. Now, that's not doing nothing. That takes an awful lot of courage, faith, trust, 
Stand firm, hold your position, see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground. All of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I want you to understand how crazy verse 18 and 19 is in this situation. Imagine, like, you're in your house, and hundreds of people who hate you and want to kill you are surrounding your house, and there's nobody to help you. And somebody comes and says, hey, just trust the Lord. And your reaction isn't, your reaction is, yes, Lord, amen, I praise you. You're just praising the Lord. Well, the, the, the solution hasn't come yet. It's just a word. They've just been given a word. No solution, just a word that they have to trust. They trust God to the extent that they can praise him when the enemy surrounds them. So the question is, for us, oftentimes, do we trust God in those types of situations? Do you have the type of trust in God that allows you to praise him when the enemy still surrounds you? When the sickness is still there? When the death is irreversible? When something happens that is terrible and there's nothing you can see outside of the enemy around you? Can you praise the Lord? Do you have the kind of trust in the word of the Lord to be able to praise God while the enemy is still around you? When you haven't quite seen the solution, we learn here that this is what they did. Verse 20, they rose out early in the morning. They went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. When they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. When he had taken counsel with the people, I love this, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Look at this. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord fought the battle. Not when they pulled their swords out. Not when they came up with a good strategy. Not when they marched over the hill. Not when you finally figured out the solution to your problem. Not when the person in your life finally resolved. None of that. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord fought the battle. And he routed them. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. They started fighting each other. They had made an end of each other and helped to destroy one another. So how do we fight the battle going ahead? How do we fight the Lord's battles? How do we get involved in what the Lord's doing? What we see here, the second point we're talking about is that worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. So we said the battle is the Lord's, the glory is the Lord's. Use what you have and run into it. Go. Be launched from here. But as we're thinking about, hey, the battle is the Lord's, worship, as we see here in this text, is warfare. I'll give you a New Testament example, Acts 16. Remember when Paul and Silas are in jail? They're not pouting. The enemy is very much around them. This looks very bleak. They have no solutions. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're stuck in chains with threats against their life in jail. Very well could be beheaded the next day, probably. They don't know. And they're singing. And what does God do with their songs? He breaks the jail cell open. He does a miracle. We see worship is warfare. Now, this is important as we begin to think about our gatherings, as we begin to think about what we're doing, what is God doing. It is not just that we will be sent from here to go and do things from the Lord. It's that as we pray and sing here, the Lord is doing things out there already. As we pray and sing, the Lord is doing something in us, through us, and around us, simply as we give Him praise. Worship is warfare because it's God's battle. 
Worship is warfare because it's God's battle. The phrase we've been using over and over again, our gatherings is a launching pad, not a landing place. What we mean by that is not that this service is unimportant, but just that it's not an end in and of itself. Christianity is not defined by attending service once a week. And as we have said, this city does not need another service. It needs a people empowered by the Holy Spirit to go live for Jesus every day. Not just one day, but every day. Now, the city may not need the service, but we do. Do you get the difference? And we hope the city uses the service that comes to know Jesus. Praise God. The city doesn't need a service. But we need the service because it is here that we are empowered to go live the mission that God has called us to live. The service is important because not only does God do something in here that affects out there as we're doing it this moment, as we pray and as we sing, the Lord is working in Falls Church, in Annandale, in Bayless Crossroads, in Fairfax, in D.C. He's working as we're doing this, but he's going to send us from here to go work on his behalf, and he's going to empower us to do that from this gathering. We need this gathering. We need this all the time, not just once a week. As many times as we can gather with other people in the name of Jesus, we need that. We need this service. So it's not that out there is more important than in here or vice versa. It's that the combination of being faithful in both places is powerful. The combination is where the power is. The combination of being faithful out there and coming in here and being faithful in here. This is where the power lies. This is how we access God's power. What God is doing in here, he wants to overflow in the world around us. Without this gathering, we would not have the same effect in the world around us. But then our gathering would not be as powerful without trying to live it out throughout the week. If we don't live it out, our gathering doesn't have the same power. If our gathering doesn't have power, we don't live it out as well. And so we need these things constantly working hand in hand to really serve the Lord. God is working now as we sing. He's working as we pray. He's working as we hear his word. He's working in us, through us, and around us, and outside of us. What a tragedy it would be to not go into the world on Tuesday and see the victory that he had on Sunday. Imagine how many things you don't see God do because he already did it and you didn't participate in it. God already did it. He won the battle. All we had to do was say something, try something, serve someone. And we would have seen what God had already done. But because we didn't jump into it, run into it, we missed it. And we didn't see what God did. Already did on Sunday. And so a lot of times what we're doing is just finding out what God has already done. When somebody comes to Jesus, it's a work God has already done in their heart. That you have to participate in. And so when we think it this way, it would be a real tragedy to have a powerless service because we live passive lives. Or to have a powerless lives because we have passive services. It would be a real tragedy to have powerless services because we have passive lives. Or to live powerless lives because we have passive services. Engage, engage, engage. Every moment, every level in our service, through prayer, through singing, through encouraging one another, through welcoming, through fellowship. As you go out in the grocery store, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, engagement, engagement, engagement. Powerful services lead to powerful lives. Powerful lives brought together lead to powerful services. And on and on it goes. But if we're passive out there... We'll experience passivity in here. If we're passive in here, we'll experience passivity out there. God wants these things to go hand in hand so that we can really be light in the world. So we learn from these things that when you trust in God's power, you're aggressive to take the fight to the enemy. Like David, you're unafraid. But also, when you trust in God's power, you prioritize the primary ways to get it. 
So you're aggressive to take the fight to the enemy. There is a sense in which you charge the hill. You run after what God has in front of you, unafraid, because it's God's battle in the first place. But there's also a reality when you trust God's power, you prioritize the, the, the ways that you get it. So we prioritize prayer as a means by which we harness the power of God. As a means by which we engage and meet with the living God. We believe that if we pray more than we do anything else, we will find much success in His kingdom. We believe that when it feels like we're not doing anything, it's the very devil's attack to make us think we're not doing anything because we're doing the most important thing. We trust God's power. We sing not just as a means to encourage our own hearts, but as a way to engage in the warfare of God. We sing and we pray. We do the things that don't feel like things because we heard from God that this is a thing. This actually makes a difference. God said so. And so we prioritize the means by which God has said we get his power. Because we know the battle is the Lord's. And so we're a people who pray. We're a people who really trust the Lord. So when you trust in God's power, you're aggressive. You take the fight to the enemy. You use what you have and you run into it. You're unafraid. When you trust in God's power, at the same time, you prioritize the primary ways you get it. You do things that people who want to get things done would not want you to do. Because you've been praying too long. You've been worshiping too long. But we know in those very places is where God fights the battles for us. We're uniquely Christian in this way. And so the question then, as we close with these two examples, is are you trusting your gear? What does it look like for you and I to leave from this place, to know the battle is the Lord's, and to trust our gear? To trust the gospel, to trust the goodness of God, to trust the power of God's word, to trust the process of prayer as a means to transform cities and our hearts. Are we trusting the gear that God has given us? We don't need new gear. We don't need better gear, better ideas. We don't need stronger people. We need people who are dependent on the Lord and who trust His gear. So that's what we should be together. That's what we want to pursue together. So why don't you um, close your eyes as the, as the band comes up to close us out. And what I want you to do, uh, and if you came, um, maybe with somebody, just lean next with them. And if you're new here and you're comfortable with it, you know, Talk to the person next to you. I just want us to pray just together for a moment. Remember, uh, you may not be used to this, but we believe that God answers prayers and that He works in prayer. And so we want to build it by prayer. We want to prioritize prayer everywhere in our gatherings and everything. So let's just take, uh, as we prepare to sing this last song, just want you to pray with someone around you. And if you're new and uncomfortable with that, and just bow your head, just talk to the Lord. That's totally awesome. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, that's all you need to do is repent, turn from your sin, trust in the goodness of Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection for your salvation. Turn to Him, follow Him. That's all you need to do now. In your seat, you can talk to God, and you can trust in Jesus yourself. But just take some time, uh, and just to the people right around you, you don't have to move a bunch of chairs or anything. Just pray, hey, Lord, like help us to trust you. Help us to trust you in our personal lives. Help us to trust you with this church. Help us to trust you in the city. Help us to live lives that embody trust this week. So go ahead and do that for a few minutes and I'll, I'll pray to close this out. You know, uh, all this that we're talking about is really just the gospel lived out on an everyday basis. And trust is how you enter in to God's kingdom through the death of His Son and His resurrection. Trust is how you live every day in God's kingdom. Trusting in the death of His Son and His resurrection. If you trust God, think about this. It's a 
Savior's soul on that great day. Let's trust God for this week. If we're trusting Him with our soul for eternity, let's trust God for our conversations, the work He has in front of us this week. If we're trusting God for eternity, let's trust God with our problems and our present difficulties. If we're trusting God then for all of that, then let's live in that trust on an everyday basis. So let the gospel be your firm foundation. That Jesus has lived, died, and rose again. That's true forever. No matter what your circumstances look like, no matter what life looks like, no matter how scary it may be, that's true. It will always be true. So the same God who did that and loves you and is for you is the God who takes you into your week and lives with you, works in you, and wants to do mighty things in your life. So let the gospel be your motivation, your empowerment. Same trust you gave God then. Give it to him this week. Watch what he does with your life. All right? So let's pray. As we close out, Heavenly Father, we, we do trust you. I feel like uh, the man in Mark 9. I believe, help my unbelief. I trust you. Help the fact that I don't trust you sometimes. Help me to live in that trust every day. God, really empowered by your spirit, dependent on you. Help us to live like little children this week, just looking to the Father. God, we need you. We can accomplish nothing, John 15, without you. Nothing flesh bears no fruit, but if we abide in you, take your way, get access to your power, believe in your name, then nothing can stop us. So Lord, I pray that we would live with that kind of humility and confidence. Help us to be humble in ourselves, confident in you. And Lord, lead us in that mystery. We love you. We thank you for all that you are for us. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, real quick, before you head out, uh, thank you guys for being here today. As always, there's food in the back, uh, and it has been brought to us by some lovely ladies in the community, so let's give them thank you. delicious. Hey, our next gathering is July 21st. We're actually in the month of July going to try the back-to-back, -back, see what that looks like, prepare us for the real thing coming in September when we meet every week. Uh, so July 21st and the 28th are our two gatherings next month. So join us here, 5 o'clock, same time, same place, all of that. Uh, and July 7th and 14th, we have what's called core team meetings, which if you're interested in being a part of the team that's committed to what God's doing here, I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like if you want to join us for those. So that's what the month of July, uh, July 22nd through 26th, we have Vacation Bible School, Sports, and Arts Camp Outreach here. So all of our door-to-door -door stuff, all of our foot-on-the-ground stuff is prepping for that week. Then out of that week comes all of the outreach and the stuff we want to do from there. So we're just putting a lot in to the community so that we can meet everybody and serve them that week, get to know them, and then go from there. So it's a big week for us. Uh, it, it's at night, 4 to 9. You can get here 5, 6 o'clock after work. The whole point is people can bring their kids after work and volunteers can come after work. So we can all come. Show up at 7, doesn't matter, serve in some way. If you're interested, talk to Adina, who's our kids person, who's with our kids right now. Uh, but if you catch her in the hallway or something, or you can shoot me an email to volunteer at VBS. That would be great. Sports, VBS, or Arts Camp. Okay, any of those three things. If you want to volunteer with us, would be fantastic. Uh, and just keep up with what we're doing on Instagram and all that, because we're out serving different times. It's very fluid, okay? So just keep up with us in that way, all right? So we hope to see you next time, July 21st. Mark it in your calendars. And join us to eat. Don't just run off. Let's hang out for a little bit. And then you can be on your merry way, all right? Appreciate y'all being here today. Go be the light of the world, all right? See you guys.